All right, friends, welcome back to another edition of the Forts Athletics Life and Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Inferna. Today, I'm really excited. We have a really special guest, Liz Brookhouse from Delta Mentality. Uh, she's a mental performance coach where we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about uh, mental conditioning, mindset, preparation for um, athletics, especially with this kind of like crazy time that we're in right now. Um, Liz, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is great. So, thank you. So like, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up as a, as a kid, like how you got involved with um, sports and uh, we'll yeah. take it from there. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I grew up in a, a small uh, farm town in Michigan and, um, you know, at that, at my high school, if you didn't play every sport, then we didn't have enough kids to field, um, field a team. So I was super fortunate to be able to try a bunch of different sports. Um, you know, I, I grew up playing basketball, volleyball, softball, and I ran track for, for a couple of years there. I was pretty terrible at softball and track, um, but I was fortunate to be able to excel at uh, volleyball and basketball a little bit. And so those were my primary sports, um, you know, through high school. I had some interest in going on to play in college, but I really wanted a, a bigger college experience because I was from such a small high school. Sure. Um, and unfortunately I wasn't, wasn't good enough to play, uh, at a, a big D one, like, like I wanted to attend for college. So I ended up going to Michigan state, didn't play any sports there. Um, you know, got a bachelor's degree in exercise physiology. When I was there, I thought I wanted to do like cardiac rehab or strength and conditioning or something like that. Um, you know, but my senior year, I took a, an internship in, um, or I took a class in sports psychology and was able to do an internship working with some youth sports in an after-school sports program and absolutely fell in love with it. You know, I knew the role that sports played in my life and I thought it was a really great, um, you know, snapshot into the impact that I could have in the lives of other kids. Um, and so that's kind of how I got interested in sports psych and then went on to get my, my master's degree in sport and performance psychology and the balls just kind of kept rolling from there. Now, Michigan State, like for the research that I do in regards to um, like uh, coach athlete relationships and and, right. um, and elite coaching, Michigan State's like a hotbed for that. I feel oh, like yeah. in every every um, you know peer reviewed article that I submit, there's like 15 or 20 citations from somebody from Michigan State who um, has you know obviously come before and done all this. So, talk a little bit about like did when you were in college at Michigan State, was there like how, how prevalent is um, like mental conditioning or sports psychology at, at a bigger, cause I went to a, a tiny D3 school, right? 5,000 yeah. students. Um, we had one psychology professor who, who, who is um, on the, the sport psychology. I can't, I don't know what the acronym in it acronym is, but he is like yeah. listed as like a sports psychologist, like okay, gotcha. for having yeah. this um, uh, level of licensure, Sure, but we never, like we didn't know like what it was and this is yeah. 2000 through 2004. So not like, you know, yeah. <laughs> in the 80s or 90s or something, but uh, so how, did you ever like work with um, any of the, the athletes on campus or just more in at like kind of like the youth level? Yeah. So at Michigan State, um, because it is such a big institution, they have a lot of folks that are much more experienced, much more qualified, especially than than I was in undergrad. Right. Um, so they have their they had their own department. And I at the time, I didn't realize how extensive um, it was. Mm -hmm. You know, you spoke a little bit about some of the research that comes out of there. The Institute for the Study of Youth Sports is huge right. there. That's where I was able to do my internship. And so I worked with Dr. Gould and Dr. Yeah. Lauer and right. Dr. Ewing, um, who are some of the, you know, 
best, I think, um, mm -hmm. to do youth sport development. So um, I was much more hands-on with the, with the youth development after schools, mm -hmm. building life skills through sport. Um, and so I did that for about a year. I didn't really work with athletes you know, in a, in the capacity similar to what I do now until I was in grad school okay. um, at Miami of Ohio. Yeah. Okay. So uh, talk a little bit about how you then you, cause you have, you have your own um, uh, Delta mentality. So your own, yeah. your own uh, performance um, business. Yeah. How, how does like, how do you fall into that? Like how, like after you graduate with your master's degree, is there like some prep of okay you take a couple of college uh courses in business administration and yeah. like this is how it works or can you talk a little bit about like how you made that transition post-grad school yeah that's a <laughs> that's a, a big <laughs> question so i so i actually started working for the united states army right after i oh, wow. okay. um uh got done with my master's degree and so i was doing applied performance work for them for a couple years and i actually my full-time job is still with them uh, but much more of like a strategic curriculum development how do we, um, you know, get this type of training into institutionalized throughout a soldier's career life cycle? So I still work with them, um, you know, in a, in a full-time capacity, a little bit different now. And so I really wanted to get back to working with athletics and being able to help coach people through their own development process and, and journey. And so, you know, I kind of made the jump, I think it's been a year and a half ago now, where I started really just reaching out to some volleyball coaches, you know, that's my sport. Mm -hmm. That's what my fiance right. coaches. And so I've been really fortunate to have some coaching connections that way and just said, Hey, do you mind if I come in and talk to your team about confidence or about mindset and how that, you know, plays a role in your sport. And it started really small and I've just been trying to, you know, network and make connections. But, you know, you asked, do you take classes in business administration? Right. Dang it. I wish I would have, because sure. <laughs> that's a, I feel like, you know, that's something I share with a lot of folks that are interested mm -hmm. in getting into mental performance and mental training and having their own business. It's not enough just to know psychology. It's not enough just to know coaching science. You have to know business. You have to know networking and communication and how to develop a, a well-rounded, um, you know, curriculum that's going to make an impact. And so there's, yeah, it's been a, it's been a learning curve, but I'm working on it. Well, the reason why I ask is um, my uh, brother-in-law uh, graduated a couple of years ago. Um, he has his doctorate nice. in physical therapy. And okay. uh, yeah. as he was going through the program, I was like, you know, do you guys take classes on like business, like accounting, like if you're going to open up your own, uh, you know, performance center and, and his program doesn't. And it's one of, I think it's a little bit more prominent in New York that uh, they, they turn out really, really good physical therapists. And I just find that interesting that with all, you know, that you wouldn't have, or that a program wouldn't say, okay, you know what, here's an accounting class, just manage your books or something. But I don't want to like, you know, digress too much from, you know, what we're, we're going to talk about. So yeah, sure. in your, in your work with volleyball and, and maybe like individual athletes, like, do you know what this difference is when it comes to mental performance or, or preparation? Uh, you know, in volleyball, you have six people on the court at a time. Right. So you, you do kind of have to rely on others, depending on if, you, if you're looking at for your own performance, uh, as opposed to like a team mindset where I coach throwers and we're part of a team of track and field. But, you know, when my kids go into the circle, there's really not much more I can do. Right. Like I can't yell at them right. when they're ready to release the shot or, you know, on their finish in the discus. So can you talk a little bit about like what just you see as like broad scope of, you know, differences in working with team team, um, sports as opposed to more individual like uh, track or weightlifting or you know swimming stuff like that 
Yeah, for sure. There are definitely some differences and it's something that I've had to kind of learn over time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you come in and talk to a group about, you know, for example, like communication, obviously it's still really important in a, in a right. sport like track and field, but you know, I was working with an, a swim team who said, uh, Liz, we don't really care if we get along because if I swim well, that's all that really matters. Like I'm doing my part, right. you know, for the team. So it's, it definitely is, you know, there, there are differences and it's interesting. I think, you know, in my experience working with a team sport versus an individual sport, something that comes up a lot is just the absolute grind that training is for an individual sport. You right. know, you are a lot of the times training all by yourself or, you know, everybody's on their own trajectory. And so it's how do I stay engaged and involved when I'm not necessarily, you know, getting to to play or perform in the way that some team sports might be able to. So that's a, that's a, a really big thing that comes up. Um, and, you know, I was working with a, a group of throwers here in central Pennsylvania and they said, you know, it's, it's crazy. You train all year for maybe, you know, like four or five performances and it's, right. it's really hard to stay engaged in, you know, really committed to the process when some weeks it's like, man, I just, I could think of a thousand other things that I'd rather do than right. go lift, even though, you know, it's going to help. Right. right. But staying engaged has been has been a struggle for a lot of the individual athletes that I work with. I find that all the time, even working with with college kids at the D3 level that, you, you know, uh, our kids or mine mostly, you know, they come to school, they're going to be, um, you know, physical therapists or nurses or teachers and things like that. So they're in, they're involved because they love it. So there's like a positive side there. But then um, in the past, like we kind of talked about offline, there's been, it seems like social media with this, with the boom of, um, mental, not so much mental performance, but, but higher level athletes talking about their anxieties and like the pressures that they feel. Sure. How do you, how would you like work with athletes? You know, maybe you could give a couple examples of, you know, maybe some like higher tier, like elite at level athletes and, you know, even like, like middle school kids, like, cause they feel pressure, like to perform and things like how, like, how, how do you go about like trying to manage those things? I know that's a really loaded question, right? Yeah. Like but you know, with, 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 um, I don't know, have you noticed a difference or like an increase over the last few years of more athletes coming out and wanting to talk to somebody that does mental performance? I guess we could start there and, and you know, kind of move forward. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I think, Definitely from, you know, you see folks like Michael Phelps and some other other athletes that have come out and said, you know, I've struggled, you know, with mental health. Um, I think that's gotten us talking a lot more about mental health mm -hmm. and mental performance. But I think that there's a an important distinction that we have to make between at least from my, you know, my standpoint, I'm not credentialed to do clinical work. Um, and I think, you know, that's a big theoretical discussion that a lot of sure. athletic departments have for really great reasons. Right. Um, but th they're different services. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, I think, you know, folks coming out and talking about mental health and those things really great because it's, it's got us talking about what it means to even consider mental health or mental wellness or mental performance and the role that it has in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I see my role as almost like a, a gatekeeper um, between the athletes, the department and whatever other resources they may need, whether that's mental health or academic support services um, you know, just getting them in the, in the right direction. I see a lot of folks come to me as a kind of first line of defense of like, Hey, I don't know if I need to go talk to a therapist or if maybe academic, you know, services might be the best route for me, or maybe I just need to like talk it out one time with you and then I'm done. Or maybe it's even more of like a performance enhancement type of, um, uh, you know, relationship where we're working on skills to continue to improve their performance. So, 
Um, definitely, I, th I think there's been an openness and, and a willingness to come and chat. I think a lot of folks don't really understand, you know, what it is we do. And so I think that's definitely the first, the first step in the right direction. So like at our campus, I think there's uh, five um, individuals in our um, like health center that are um, licensed to do that work, I guess, in New York. So at, at like undergrad campus, like at NAS, we have like 3,000 kids. Right. We're at the University of Rochester, where I do a lot of my research, we have um, like 50,000, 60,000 students. So it's really overwhelming. What are some um, like common... Like if someone's going to reach out to you, like what are common um, themes or issues that are going on that you're seeing right now in, in regards to, um, you know, mental performance coaching? Yeah, sure. So I spend, I, I would say a few things come, you know, if I'm thinking about all the things that I've seen in the last year or so, uh, these few things come up. Confidence is, is probably the number one, um, whether that's lack of confidence or I've just never had it or I had it and I can't maintain it after a mistake. Um, I spend a lot of time talking about confidence and what that means. Um, I spend a lot of time talking about time management, which is something that doesn't directly fall into, um, you know, mental performance, but it's definitely something that is obviously really important and, and prevalent, especially with mm -hmm. college athletes. Um, how do I manage all these demands and uh, make sure that I'm doing, you know, juggling all the balls that I have to juggle as a student athlete the best that I can. Um, and then another thing, that comes up related to time management, I think, but it has, we have a bigger issue with it than just time management. I think it's just like social media and the pressure that comes from that, which you mentioned earlier. It's right. just, you know, especially when you're working with division one athletes that are a little bit, a little bit more high profile, you know, and on ESPN and some things like that, you know, there are a lot of, you know, armchair quarterbacks out there that are telling you how you should be doing your job. So that's something that, you know, not, not as much where I am now, but in the past has come up quite a bit. Like how do I manage that? And, you know, really stay focused on how I can do my best, not let everything else kind of get in the way. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned that about the, the confidence in social media, because when, uh, when I was a college athlete at Fredonia, there was this website, anybody who knows track is going to chuckle about this. So it was called Raceberry jam was a website. And, you know, you would have a meet, a college meet on a Saturday and then you had to wait like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to see like where your performance stacked up against the rest of the country, you know, depending on what level you competed at. And um, back then in 2000 to 2004, they had um, an A standard. So if you threw this far, you knew you were automatically going to nationals. And then okay. if you hit the B standard, um, they would take you if there weren't enough athletes to populate the A. So usually gotcha. it was like 20 hammer throwers or shot putters or whatever. And you had to wait and wait and wait and wait. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like the next meet's coming up. Like coaches haven't submitted their performances or um, some coaches would hang on till the very end. And mm -hmm. it just got like, kind of like now if one of my athletes throws, it's on, it's on Twitter, like in 10 seconds, like they throw, right. boom, they post it. And it seems like that there's always like this competition you know, with somebody across the country, like somebody you've never met before, but oh my gosh, like if I don't throw far and I don't post it, and I just find that really interesting. And for me who has zero experience in any of this mental performance coaching stuff, how, like what advice, like how do coaches, and I don't, maybe it might be different at the D3 level as opposed to like the D1 where you have your higher profile you know, your Heisman, you know, trophy quarterbacks, and then, you know, somebody who's at D3 who, you know, that's, that's all they'll do. Uh, how, how do you like manage those things? Like, is it more of uh, you know, I just got, you know, if I see those three dots and I send a text message, like I'm waiting, like, oh my gosh, like, are they responding? Like, are they responding? Like, are they going to respond? 
like how do you how if somebody came to you with that like how do you kind of talk them I want to say off the off the ledge a little bit but yeah you know how, how do you you know how do you do that yeah that's a good question I I think one and this this question I ask to a lot of athletes for a lot of different purposes but I think sure. it's really helpful here is you know I always I always ask my athletes like is this helping you and sure. if it's if it's not serving you if it's not helping you then right. like let's get rid of that strategy that's not working right. Some athletes find a lot of motivation behind, you know, social comparison. And I think as long as you don't put all your eggs in that basket, I think that's totally fine. If that's what motivates you, especially in a, in a sport like, you know, track and field or throwing where maybe your best competition in order to motivate you to that next level, isn't, you know, on, on your own team. That's right. something that, that could be a very real, uh, real reality for you. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I think the problem becomes when, you know, you finish a, a, you know, meet or a game or a match or whatever it is, and you pull out your phone really quick to see what everybody else is thinking. Right. It's like, well, at that point, it's not helping you. And so I think a big thing that you have to do is ask that question, like, is this helping me? Is it hurting me? And then if it's harming you, let's get rid of it and try to refocus on what's the most important thing for me to continue to get better. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, if you're comparing your, your distances to everybody else, it's like, right. it doesn't matter if you're not actually getting better. You're never going to beat right. them if you're not focused on what you can control. So that's a, you know, a question that I, you know, tend to ask my athletes. Yeah. And it's interesting because when I first started coaching, nobody had cell phones, right. Um, I was a grad student in 0405. So, I mean, people had cell phones, but uh, you know, the iPhone that hadn't come out yet. And that's a whole nother thing when I was teaching, yeah. like the, the, the total disruption it caused in high oh, schools. Gosh, it's terrible. But, uh, but like up until that point, like there, there wasn't that like Facebook just came out. So there wasn't, so do you see any, and I, I know you just said, you know, if it's, if it's not helpful, don't use it, but do you see any like positives to that? Like, is there uh, like what's the silver lining with like the, the social comparison, even though, you know, people are thousands of miles apart. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you bring that up because I think a lot of the times we we hear this, like just the the negative associations with social media and this generation. And I mean, I don't know how we're we're chopping up generations this year, but or, you know, I, I tend to fall with the younger generation, and I I think I can really vouch for and empathize with folks that find a lot of meaning in social media and the connections that you can make um, with with other folks. You know, I, I participate recreationally in triathlon and there aren't a ton of people in central Pennsylvania that do it. And so being able to post about it on social media and reach out and, and share those, you know, training wins with other folks, um, is, is really helpful for me. It gives me a sense of community. Now, sometimes I find myself obviously like, Oh, well, this person ran a 5k in this time. Like I, I need to pick it up. Um, but there are so many people that, you know, really support you and it helps build that sense of community. And if you if you have the right people in your social network, um, it can be really powerful. They, you know, ton, tons of people support me. And I know I see that everywhere else as well, as long as you, you know, keep a, a close eye on your social media right. accounts. Right. Well, I just started, I, I, I try and I've tried dabbling the last couple of years in triathlon, just as like a change nice. from like more strength <laughs> sports. Yeah. And I, and I agree that they're like, even when I first started, like, I didn't really, like, I weighed 270 pounds when I did my first uh, sprint race, and it took me over two hours, and I, I was like, yeah, you know, I finished last, like, <laughs> my age group, and, and yeah. then I was like, oh, well, there's, like, weight classes with age groups, too, so, like, this past, last summer, I was like, oh, maybe I can compete well against, like, people my own age that weigh the same, and that was like, and, and, it, and it, then I started feeling like, my adrenaline started picking up again, like always like being in competition. But I think 
with the social media piece, like I was reaching out to triathletes who, who are more, you know, higher profile. And I'm like, listen, like, I've never done this before. I'm a huge guy. You know, I'm six one. Like <laughs> I, I can't find like a, a wetsuit, like help right, me out. Yeah. And, and, and I'm surprised. And I was surprised that in that community, like I could talk to somebody who's an age group national champion or somebody who's competed at the Olympic trials and they'll send the DM back immediately on, on Instagram. And I'm like, wow, like, and I'm always very thankful and appreciative of that. And I think for some of those communities, like throwing as well, I always encourage the high school kids that I train with or that I coach, you know, send somebody a DM on Instagram. Like the worst that, you know, I guess the worst that happens is they look at it and you see the scene on the bottom and right. then they don't respond, which could cause a whole nother set of, you know, anxiety. But more often than not, people are very responsive and receptive to that. And I, and I agree that in, in certain communities, you can reach out to somebody who's, you know, a national champion, Olympic weightlifter. And I've done that too. Like, Hey, you know, I have this podcast. You want to, you know, you want to come on and, and you, I think people would be surprised as, as the outreach, like how, how um, accommodating people might be with this. But Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I think people are, are willing to help. You just have to, you know, reach out and, and ask them for it. Yeah. So when you talk about like the focus, like, I think that's something that I've, uh, have the most difficulty with. And I think maybe college, uh, even like across the board, like if, if, if you're going to come in and like work on it, like in a seminar, like if coaches reach out to you, um, for like bigger teams and they say, you know, um, you know, Liz, we need help in this area. You kind of talked about it more as like on an individual with like confidence and like the social media thing. Are there, is it similar conversations with like bigger teams? Like if you're going to work with volleyball, um, or I mean the army, right? Like what, what type of conversations would you have like at the army? I mean, like, you know, physically, like they have to be at the top, right? Mentally you would think like, wow, like these, these people are going to, you know, they're serving our country and I'm very grateful for them to, to do that service. But what are those like conversations like when, you know, you might get a call from, I don't know how it works in the army, like a general or a colonel and someone's yeah. going to say, Hey Liz, you know, we, we got a, you know, um, a, a team here or a group that um, uh, we'd like you to talk to. Like, what do you, what do you talk to an army, uh, you know, like a soldier about? Yeah, that's a, a good question. And it's funny you, you pose it like that because it, it right. is like that a lot of times. So like right. somebody, you know, a company commander, whoever will call right. and like, hey, I'd love for you to come in and, and talk to my guys. And it's like, okay, about what? And they're like, I don't know. They're just messed up. <laughs> it's like, all right. That's <laughs> uh, uh, not much direction, but it's fine. So sure. a lot of the times, uh, one thing, especially in a situation like that, where, you know, somebody might call me and be like, I really think the mental side of whatever I do is important, you know, military or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the first things, you know, I do, and I'm, I'm fortunate, you know, in sports, I've been around sports my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I understand a lot of them pretty, pretty closely. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first step I think is being able to really understand the context in which folks have to operate mm-hmm. and know the specific demands that that group is facing. Sure. Um, and just because I know what a, the track and field team at Bucknell is dealing with, doesn't mean that I know what the track and field team at any other, you know, university or, or college is dealing with. So mm-hmm. that's one of the first things I, I like to do is just to come mm-hmm. in and say either with the coaching staff or just observe a practice or whatever it is, just to get a, a little bit better grasp on, what exactly um, is kind of going on and what are some of the most, you know, prevalent things that I might be able to, to start with. Um, you know, after that, it, it just really depends. You know, a lot of the conversations that I have one-on-one with athletes, I end up replicating in a, in a bigger setting with, with a group. Um, it more closely mimics, I think, uh, 
you know, kind of the, the battle rhythm that I follow is I'll just introduce a topic, get folks talking about, you know, what they think about that topic or how it impacts their performance. I'll teach a couple of strategies and then do some type of applied, you know, exercise or getting them thinking about how can I directly apply this to my performance. Uh, and then I'll let them go. I'll let them try it out in practice or during, you know, battle drills if we're working with the military. Sure. Um, just to see how does that actually make an impact. Um, and it, it, you know, I always say this to coaches. I, I think I approach my work much like coaches do in that, Hey, we're going to try a small tweak, see how it works. Um, and, and we'll go from there. So do, do people think that, you know, sometimes like if it's an individual or a team that they'll talk to you for a half hour or an hour and then like, Oh, I'm like, <laughs> like the, the light switch yeah. goes off or is it more of a, Cause like, you know, with, with throwing, and I don't want to just keep going back to that, but I guess that's kind of like what I know. Yeah. So, you know, I can teach somebody how to throw a discus in, in like 30 minutes, right? Like it might not look beautiful, but I yeah. could get them to stay in the circle and land in a sector and it's going to be a fair throw. So that's the kind of like the, the easier part, or maybe it's more simple. When working like the mental side of any type of athletic performance, like do you have to, you have to train the mind just as much as you do physically, right? Like it's not just something where, okay, today I'm going to focus like really hard. Yeah. Like it's, it's not just as easy as, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave my phone. Maybe it is as easy. I'm just going to leave my phone at home for this hour or I'm not going to check anything. Um, talk a little bit about like what, like might be some misconceptions in regards to, uh, you know, I, I'm good for an hour or, you know, it, it takes a little bit of, like you, it takes a year or two or three to kind of like start figuring out, Oh, wow. Like if I can focus on this for two hours, my performance is going to be better than if I get distracted every 10 minutes by a text message or, you know, a Snapchat or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head, Charles. I think that's one of the biggest uh, misconceptions is that um, a few things. The first sure. one, before we even get to that point, is that mental performance is just for people that are screwed up or that are really right. struggling. And that's not true. We know some of the most elite athletes use it as an integral part of their mm -hmm. training. Uh, and so that's the first thing that I try to dispel is mental performance isn't another, you know, thing that we have to do. Right. It's already interwoven in our performance. And so we're just more deliberately training that that side mm -hmm. of the game. So I think that's the, the first big one. The other big one is that, you know, we're going to, you know, Liz will come in and talk to us for an hour about focus and attention. And all of a sudden we'll never have any, you know, focus or attention issues. Right. Um, typically what I see though, is that after I come in, you know, and, and maybe do an hour or a 45 minute session, folks do really well um, with that particular, mm -hmm. you know, topic for the next week or so. Um, and then things start to kind of decline again. And it's because it's not at the forefront of their mind. And sure. The, the important thing to remember about mental training is that we're, we're actually changing the way that we operate, right? And that takes time, whether that's readjusting our values or our overall mindset or actually working on some of those, you know, mental connections with neuroplasticity and some of those other things. That stuff takes time. Like I wouldn't expect you to be able to just come in and do, you know, some crazy Olympic lift right. when you didn't know it, you know, two seconds ago. So really building that um, repetition and consistency with mental training is probably the number one most important thing. And that's, so that's what I find myself working with, with teams a lot on is I'll, I'll come in and do a one hour session, but I need you to promise me that I can come back maybe, you know, 10 days from now. And just, even if it's a short reminder of, Hey, remember last time we were in here, we talked about the importance of being all in during training. Let's make sure we put those phones away. And I want you to pay attention to, 
anytime you have a distracting thought about, hey, I need to get back to homework, or I wonder what my boyfriend or girlfriend's doing, or you know, anything like that, those small repetitions and reinforcements Mm -hmm. are, you know, the most important pieces with mental training. Yeah, you know, the the class thing is interesting because um, the last couple of years I've I've coached kids that um, were in like a nurse, a very competitive nursing program or physical therapy program and things. And um, if I can get them for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, like I thought that that was an accomplishment for me, even though we would practice for like an hour, an hour and a half, because I know, like, I didn't go to college to to be a teacher like I, my, I was going to throw at the 2004 Olympic trials like I, I you know didn't do as well as I, as I should have in undergrad and um, I was told that many times by Fredonia um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway like fortunately my parents I intercepted those letters before they yeah. did but like I went to throw so for me like if I went to class twice a week for you know for anything like I thought that was a win like I wanted to you know so the coaches I was when I I was all in like you know Trevor Hitchcock my throwing coach like he didn't have to worry about me like I I I was going to throw and throw and throw but for coaches today where I don't know if it's just different I mean it's it's been 20 years like it feels weird for me to say that like I just turned 38 like well like 20 20 years ago I was a freshman in college and that's all I wanted to do do you think like coaches like is there something that we can do to better work with athletes who are of this gender like I'm older than you so like of this we're probably like different generation right like it's social media is all around us so what like how can we better be prepared to work with our athletes who might have all of these distractions going on all the time yeah that's a a good question I I think the biggest thing that coaches can do and this is something that you know I I find myself saying a lot is that it's really easy, you know, and I'm even guilty of it with my younger brother. I have a 16 year old younger brother and I, I find myself doing it even, you know, saying, oh, he's, you know, that, that age of kids is just, oh, it's, they're just tough to work with. But I think the biggest thing um, is being a little bit more empathetic and understanding that, you know, we thought, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this. We thought of our parents as completely different and, and weird in a lot of ways. And so, being able to just understand like this is just a different it's a different time and and really finding what's most important to the athletes you know you mentioned social media that's a big thing um and and so a lot of the coaches that I work with it's been about like how do we if social media is important to them how do we engage in a productive way using those things that are important you know if if having you know experiences is important then how do we create experiences that are meaningful that also help us move, uh, you know, in the right direction in terms of our training or our sport. And so, you know, being able to find those things that are most important to your athletes, you have to, you have to know who you're working with um, and and be able to leverage and manipulate a little bit, uh, you know, that, that point to, to your advantage. Yeah, we, um, so I never did the Snapchat thing up until a couple of years <laughs> ago. And then I realized that that's all the kids responded to. Right. Um, I call them kids. They're 18 and 19 and the young adults. Right. But like they wouldn't, it, it was difficult to get an email back or even a group text. So they're like, Oh, coaches download Snapchat. And I'm like, but it's the same as a text message. They're like, no, we have our notifications on. We're like, we want to look at that. And, and my wife's like, what, like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, if, if this is how I could get to the kids, like, okay. Uh, you know, practice is going to be moved a little bit, or, you know, this is when the bus leaves because we would have kids that never read their emails, like didn't have a clue and that stuff. But if they got a snap or Instagram or Twitter, 
not so much Twitter, but um, that's what worked. And, and some of the older coaches that work with throwers, ah, oh, that social media stuff, like this is how, you know, it's, I, we didn't have that in the eighties and things. And you see a lot of like higher profile division one basketball coaches, like, you know, we have to adapt to our kids. Like it's not the other way around where um, like this generation of coaches speaks like that. But then if you ever listen to like Lou Holtz, you know, I give a, a talk from Notre Dame, you know, we bring here, bring you here to be us. We don't, we don't become you. So it's like, wow, like these two like hall of fame coaches have two totally different mindsets on it, but they were, but they were still able to accomplish whatever their, their goals were. And I just wonder if, if there are coaches that reach out that it's more for them, like, how do I, how do I spend um, my time getting better um, with the kids? Like, do, do you see a, a reluctancy sometimes from like, I, I wish I had somebody like you, like we were talking like when I was 20 or 21, like I think athletically I, I might've had a much better career, but as a coach, I would reach out too, like, Hey, listen, like Liz, I'm really having difficulty with, with this. Are you noticing a more of an influx of like coaches reaching out just for support for themselves? Not so much come talk to our kids, but talk to me. Right. Yeah. That, that's a good question. I would, I would say um, for me personally, I have only worked with a handful of coaches and I think mm -hmm. it's because not because I don't think it's important. In fact, you know, that's where I think we have a, a huge missed market in terms of mm -hmm. sport and performance psychology is, you know, coaches and athletic departments in general. Um, but yeah, I, I spend, I would say 90 to 95% of my time working with athletes. And, and I think it is a little bit of a reluctance you know, or this perception that, you know, I, I hear all the time from coaches, like it's, it's my athletes. Like I can't, I don't know what's going on with them. They just won't listen to me. And, right. you know, sometimes I'm like, well, have you tried changing the way that you're, you know, you know, giving your messaging or whatever it is. And um, I, I think there's just, there's not enough of that self-reflection. Um, I know there are great coaches out there that do it, but in terms of, you know, some of the folks that I work with, especially youth coaches, my gosh, that's a whole, you know, other, <laughs> you know, can of worms, but, um, you know, being able to, to look at yourself and say, Hey, could I benefit from any of this? And I would argue every single time that you can, I mean, uh, you know, I, somebody told me one time, a good coach has a coach and being able to at least, you know, look up to somebody and be mentored, whether that's from another throwing coach or right. a sport and performance psychology coach. Um, if you're growing and getting better, I think that's the most important part. So I think it's a huge missed market. So, so with things that are going on today, right? So the Olympics were canceled, yeah. um, you know, or postponed rather, excuse me. How, like what advice would you have for like that athlete who may have been on the cusp of like, like I work with throwers. So I had one athlete who, you know, was on the cusp of, of making the Olympic trials in the hammer. And um, you know, we, we talk and he's like, you know, coach, like, what do I, what do I do now? So my initial thought is, well, you know, you're still young, right? So you, you know, do it because internally I'm like, well, you know, you don't want to wake up when you're my age and like, Oh man, like I only had 18 more months to train. So I try and, I've tried to put a spin on it of like, you know, we have, we have 18 more months, you know, we can kind of start over again, at least physically. Right. So we could start doing things that maybe we didn't feel comfortable doing before because now we have a long time to like train and give us ourselves an opportunity. But for the athletes who this might've been like the last one, right? Like what, like, have you, like, even with uh, other mental um, performance coaches that are in your network, like how, like, is there like a common message like for, for those athletes or is there like a common um, 
yeah, I guess like a common message that sports performance coaches want to, to be providing at this time, or is it more like on an individual basis based on, you know, age of the athlete or like circumstances or because the videos are really cool. Like people have become very creative with how they're preparing for things, but you know, to throw, you need a cage, you know, you need a lot of space and it's not, you know, all the college, like I have high school kids that I worked with um, that are now in college and like, okay, coach, let's go train. And I'm like, no, like you can't go anywhere on campus. Like they're closed <laughs> right. until May. Like we can't train. Like you gotta, we have to like physically stay away, you know? So is, is there like, um, uh, like common messages or, you know, things that are out there right now? Yeah, I, I would say for, this is what I've been trying to kind of, you know, put out there and what a lot right. of my colleagues have mm -hmm. for those folks that are still, you know, fortunately in, engaged in their sport and able right. to continue to train in whatever capacity that that is. I know it looks a lot different now, but, um, you know, looking at this as an, as an opportunity, um, I think sometimes we, you know, default almost to like this victim mentality and I'm not downplaying the situation. It's extremely serious and right. it, it sucks. I mean, there's no way around it. Um, but being able to say, okay, what's the opportunity here? How can this actually serve me? Um, and looking at this as an additional, you know, 18 months or whatever it is, you know, I saw something on Twitter yesterday where, uh, you know, a coach said our fall season starts today. And so even looking towards, you know, that something, something to look forward to and see it as preparation for the next season, even though we don't, we don't have a season now. So I thought that was super helpful, mm -hmm. you know, and then for those folks that unfortunately that, you know, their season or career is, is over that's a completely, you know, different um, ball game. And I think one of the big things that, you know, I've been trying to tell my athletes and I see a lot of folks say is it, like your, your feelings, first of all, are valid. Um, a lot of athletes are processing this in the same way as we would a loss or, you know, some other traumatic experience. And so being able to kind of sit with that and be okay with not feeling good right now, um, I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. And then really looking for how can I, you know, essentially they started their transition from sport. So how can I find a, a different piece of my identity or something that I find meaningful, much like I did sport um, to kind of start to grow um, in that way. And so that can be really helpful to say, yeah, you know, Liz was a volleyball player, but Liz also really likes to teach or, you know, communicate with other folks and work with them and help them on their own growth journey. So maybe that's a little piece of my identity that I start to start to pull on. So those are the big things. And with just kind of getting back, because you mentioned like um, you dabble in triathlon and things. So with something like, like that, we're like, you know, throwing you throw, you know, obviously you prepare for thousands and thousands of hours for 20 seconds of work really like in the circle where triathlon like I, this is where I totally blew it the first go round. like I was mentally totally not prepared of you know coming out of the water and my heart rate is blown up and I got to get on a bike and I got to try and go and it was a sprint so you know it was a half mile swim 13 mile bike ride and then a 5k like I was gat like I was totally like it was over for yeah. me. so <laughs> so um for for athletes who are more of those like endurance type sports, is it is the message the same or is it a little like is it is it different in regards to um, like I've read like you know for you know you're you're on you're on a bike for a, for a hundred miles right if you're doing a full Ironman like it, to embrace the pain like I've, I've read like like really feel it like know where you are where other people like myself are like oh my god like 
I've been 12 miles. I have three more to go. Like I'm dying. Like I just got to get through it. Like talk about like how, how that might be different for the, some of those more like, you know, endurance sports. You see like Cameron Hayes, like does these crazy like hundred mile runs and like all these rucks and things. Is it different or is it just like you're putting your mind in a different place, I guess. Yeah, I, I, this is tricky. I think, you know, from, from a fundamental standpoint, um, you know, you're, it's kind of the same, but I, I right. think of it a little bit differently. Um, you know, endurance is a crazy thing. And, right. you know, from my own, so I did a, a half Ironman. That's the distance that I, that I trained for. And sure. um, I think, you know, you spoke to it about making pain kind of your friend, <laughs> I think with our, with our shorter, shorter performances or right. more power. Um, obviously it's, <laughs> there's a struggle, there's a different pain, but right with endurance, man, that thing, it, it's a grind. And like you said, you can get in the water and your heart rate's pounding. And then right. if you're thinking about how, you know, in, you know, a half a mile or even 1.2 <laughs> miles, if you're doing a half Ironman, you have to get out and then get on a bike for like, yeah. so it's a different, it's just, it's a different way to think about it. And I mm -hmm. think for me, it's honestly like the biggest strategy that I use throughout that is just being able to chunk everything up and say, sure one thing in front of the other, like, I'm just going to make it to this next swim buoy. And then after that, I'm gonna make it to the next swim buoy. Right. And of course, being able to, you know, monitor how you're doing super mm -hmm. important. And I think that's why, you know, when you mentioned being able to tune in and pay attention to that pain and make friends with that pain mm -hmm. can be a really helpful, helpful strategy, because it's not going to go away. You got <laughs> you got a really long time on that bike, let me tell you. Right. So um, yeah, making pain your friend is definitely, you know, something that's a little bit different than, you know, for some other sports. Well, even like I've noticed, like, like I was, I was going to register for a bunch of races and up, everything up here in pretty much Western New York is canceled. Everything like through June and even into, into July, the race directors were like, let's just kind of hold off a little bit, which to me, it's like, wow, like in the mid July, but like, I would do a, like a thousand yard, like swim. And, and after like 50 yards, I like, you know, I, there's a random thought of my, like, how are my kids? Or, oh my gosh, like I left my wife home with the kids again. Like she's going to kill me when I come home. <laughs> like how, <laughs> so, so my distractions are, it's like 24 seven, like for me personally, I don't want to turn this to like into a session with you and I, we could do that offline, but like <laughs> for, for people who do have, um, who are juggling kids and like that work life balance and like that daily grind, are there like strategies or tips that, I don't want to say easily be implemented because, you know, in the past I've said that and people are like, no, it's not easy. Like you need to, you know, retract. So things that people like 99% of the population that are, you know, the recreational weekend warriors type stuff that can be implemented that might, you know, and not that are perform like if I don't run a 10 K, like my, I'm not going to get any better at it. So I know like <laughs> just trying to focus on, like you said, like the chunking, you know, mailbox by mailbox by mailbox, but for those of us who are just trying to get through the day to day that want to still be competitive in athletics, like, is, is there like, um, you know, any, like any place you can like, is there like, are, are there materials or is there just like a, a message that you have for us common folk, uh, in regards to that, like how we can, how we can improve our mental performance? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, the first biggest things is realizing that it, it, it is an important piece, whether you're parenting, whether you're cooking, you know, exercising, there's, right. there's a mental component to everything. And so the first thing that I always start with is this element of self-awareness. Um, you know, I, I teach, you know, breath or mindfulness based techniques mm -hmm. right up front. And I think, you know, I, I'm going to try my best not to get on my soapbox, but I think mindfulness, no, okay. 
is, uh, is one of the, the best ways to improve a lot of different areas of performance. And so that's something that I almost always recommend for whatever population mm -hmm. I'm working with is an element of, of um, you know, stillness and being able to reflect and, and kind of see where you're at. I think mm -hmm. once we have an awareness of where we are, then we can start to kind of create a path to improvement if that's what you're looking for, sure. or at least some sense of, of calm and, and relaxation if, if you're a parent, I can only imagine. So, um, you know, mind, mindfulness or some type of breath awareness is, mm -hmm is one of the very first things that I always bring up because I think that shows us, it gives us a sense of clarity in terms of right. what we can actually do to improve performance and mm -hmm. allows us to be a lot more present, whether, like I said, whether you're exercising or parenting, I think the thing we struggle with the most as a, as a society is just being able to be completely engaged and aware and present in whatever we're doing. And yeah. so usually that's where I start is Right. Let's, let's just take five minutes just to focus on your breath, build that self-awareness and, and really start to hone that sense of presence. Because um, you can't you can't do anything if you're not in the present moment. Well, it's interesting because like we have a garage gym. So and, and um, at our house. So in the winter, you know, I'm always, I always park outside and and every once in a while I'll post videos where I'm squatting or doing something where it takes a lot like you have to, you know, lots of concentration. And the kids will walk by like they know like if daddy's like in the cage, like it would try and stop or not throw balls around. So I don't like, you know, kill myself. Right. And people are like, like, how do you do that? And, and, and to me, it's like, you know, I'm not high level. And like when I was a kid, 22, 23, like I thought I was a competitive power lifter. And I reflect back now and I'm like, man, like I wasted so much time. Like I thought I was good. Like I would come home from teaching and just like train and like totally you know, not cognizant of like nutrition and um, rest and recovery. Cause you're 23. It's like, right. <laughs> whatever. Like I'll go to bed at two, go back, go to school, teach right. and do it over again. And now it's like, people are like, Oh my gosh, like that's so, so cool. And I, and I find it more rewarding. Not that I can squat for 405 pounds, but when there's a toddler walking by and now all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm focusing up and now I'm like, okay, like, where's he going? Like I, sometimes I'll yell or say something and, and, and I lose my training or my focus and I got to re-rack and um, it just, it, it's just, it's interesting how you, you try and make it work with what you, with what you have. But um, yeah, I just look back and it's like, oh my gosh, like I wish somebody would have like pulled me aside and said, Hey, listen, man, like you're, you're training, but you're not, you're not really training, like wait till there's actual distractions. And I find it so interesting talking to people like you and like yeah. other parents that are like, high profile that are competing at like masters world championships and masters this and masters that. And I'm like, wow, like you're in your, like the 50 to 54 age group. Like you, like, I feel bad if I'm not training because like, you know, like you, like they are. And, and, and I'm like, wow, like there, there, there is something to it. And then, you know, reaching out, then it, it always comes back to, you know, you get a, you know, it's either early in the morning before the kids get up or while well, my kids are in high school. So they're self-sufficient. So I have to like, you know, have to change diapers like I do still, <laughs> uh, but um, it, I, I feel more reassured that you shared the, the you know, the mindfulness and, and, and some of that. Cause a lot of our schools in Western New York are hiring. I don't know. What's the right way of putting it? somebody in the district that that goes from classroom to classroom that teaches kids about mindfulness and teaches mm -hmm. like breathing techniques and it's really interesting um because they they come to the school that where my um son goes and um he's like you know mrs so-and-so comes in and, and they'll teach us to breathe and not you know get upset all the time and, 
and he's able to apply it and he's six. Yeah. So it's, so yeah, you know, and it's, and it's interesting. He's like, you know, daddy, you, you know, don't get mad. He's like, you know, you know, just breathe. And the exact same thing you said. So I don't know if it's like a, like, I'm not saying it's like a script. I'm just saying like tongue in cheek, like, wow. Like he, he figured it out in his first grade classroom and he's got all these distractions going on. Um, but no, it's really cool that, that we're, we're kind of like on the right track as parents of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, hey, I mean, yeah, yeah. Don't take it. Don't take parenting <laughs> advice from me. I don't have any kiddos, but yeah, I would I'm say that that's a, uh, yeah, that's, that's spot on. That's really cool. You know, that's something that, you know, I've, I've been picking up on a little bit. Obviously I do, you know, mindfulness performance in terms of, uh, you know, military and sports Mm -hmm. performance, but it's starting to absolutely take off in schools. And I think maybe that's where some of the first interventions happened even um, just to to help with that emotional reactivity piece that your son's talking about. Yeah. So that's awesome that they're, they're doing that. Do you think that that's gonna, like when I was um, in high school, like the big thing was there weren't a lot of like athletic trainers in schools or like schools were like sharing. And now every school almost, it seems like, has like a strength and conditioning coach, which was, which was unheard of back then. Right. Um, Do you think like the mental performance piece, do you think that's not too far behind in regards to like high schools? And I mean, you're in Pennsylvania, I'm in Western New York, so we're not that, you know, distance wise, we're not that far away. Do you think that's going to be like a trend in the next, maybe like three, four or five years at school districts might start, you know, um, hiring mental performance coaches or, you know, employing somebody that's also a teacher and I don't know, teaches like psychology class or whatever, like as an elective that also works with student athletes. I think so. I mean, I at least hope so. Um, I think, yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. Um, But I think so. I think we're starting to see it. Um, Obviously things always start at the highest level where you have the most, you know, resources, the most money. And I think we're starting to see it kind of take off in college athletics. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we talked about at the beginning, a lot of it because of the mental health awareness. Um, But I think, you know, high schools eventually will follow suit. I know a handful of folks that um, are already working at high schools in a similar capacity, either they're a coach who also happen to have a master's in in performance psych and, Mm -hmm and do that work that way. Um, you know, some teachers that do that. And then of course, some of the private high schools and academies have mm-hmm. folks much like the, the strength and conditioning sure. coaches that the bigger high schools have. So I think we're definitely, you know, we're, we're at the forefront, I think of, of mental performance being integrated a little bit more. I think we might see it talked about a little bit differently at the high school level, more about like life skills development and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But I think, yeah, I think you're, uh, I think you're spot on. I think we're going to see it take off here in the next hopefully, you know, five to 10 years. I mean, I see here, like the high school that I, I graduated from, we were one of the bigger high schools and, and, um, you know, in the state, like six, 700 kid, um, student graduating classes. And, and that's where, you know, my wife's an employee there and, and they have this mental, you know, mindfulness person that comes and, and they, they work with the kids. And, um, and she also does work with the varsity athletes and she's very active on social media. And I just find it really interesting. Like, that that, you're right like it's the haves and the have nots right like the district that we live in totally different like you graduating classes gonna be like 200 kids like there's not Mm -hmm. as much they're not as you know prevalent when it comes to that um and then you see like img academy in florida where they have like a whole department they have like 12 12 mental performance coaches yeah (laughs) (laughs) so so for someone that you know not to just take take up too much more of your time but so for somebody who wants to get into mental performance coaching or sports performance coaching like what advice do you have for them in regards to like programs in the in the country because up here in in western new york like um 
you know, I think that the University of Buffalo kind of has something. It's not called mental performance coaching or sport performance coaching, but it's like an offshoot with um, kinesiology um, and like the nutrition department. Syracuse University, another big program. Like, I don't think that they like, is it something like now, obviously you can go to school for that. But before, like, I didn't even know that that existed. I, my, my career might have taken a different path because I was interested in that at the time. Like if somebody comes to you and says, you know, Liz, I want to do this, wh- like, how would you, what direction would you lead them to? Or like, what kind of resources are available for that? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, Charles, you brought it up, you know, earlier when you were talking about social media. I think one of the most important things you can do is look to somebody that is already doing this work and mm-hmm. really link up with them and, and create that mentorship. You know, that's something that I, you know, tried really hard to do right at the beginning of my career, even mm-hmm. if it wasn't, you know, talking to them all the time. Um, you know, like, I don't know if you're familiar with like Justin Sua and some of the other big right. names um, out there in terms of mental performance coaching, but linking up with the folks that are doing it at the highest level, a lot of them are willing to help and just be able to say, Hey, you know, here's how I kind of got my start. Mm-hmm. I think another big thing, um, you know, like we talked about earlier is just being able to know, like there are programs out there, but also try not to get so, you know, um, focused on just sport and performance psychology. There's so much, um, you know, other, so many other disciplines that go into being a successful performance coach. Um, and I, I think another big thing aside from the education is just being able to be familiar with how things work from like a departmental or operational standpoint that helped, that's helped me tremendously in terms of when I go in to talk to an athletic director if I already know what types of demands or, you know, budgetary constraints or, you know, what, what types of things are facing at that department, being able to know how they operate has been extremely helpful. Um, and so just knowing, again, I, I guess it's the business side behind, you know, sports, there's, there's so much that goes into it um, to be able to be, you know, a, a, a coach that makes an impact. Um, you have to know the, the context that you're operating in and mm-hmm. not being afraid to, to say, hey, wait a minute, maybe I don't know everything. Um, let me just take a minute to really dig in and, and find out what I'm really working with here. Yeah, I've noticed there's a lot of um, like uh, universities that are offering online. Um, one comes to mind just because mm-hmm. a couple of um, uh, athletes that went to the same college, I mean, Fredonia, Adam State, I know it has a, um, like, a, it's, it's starting to boom, like online um, sports performance where you know, if you can't get to Colorado and like here in Western New York, there's really, Right. There aren't a lot of avenues. Um, and then we kind of talked offline a little bit with the University of Missouri with Rick McGuire and, and, and Amber Selkin and their um, program. So there are opportunities for people out there who might not physically be able to go to class. But right now, mm-hmm. no one's physically going to class anyway. So it doesn't, right. it doesn't yeah. matter. But, um, so Liz, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and um, you know they're interested in, in some of the uh, mental performance coaching that you offer, how can they do that? Yeah, sure. So um, I have a website, deltamentality.com. Um, I spend most of my time, though, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, not quite gotten into the TikTok or Snapchat thing. So, <laughs> But my, uh, my Instagram's at delta.mentality. And then on Twitter, I'm at EA Brookhouse. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah. Liz, thank you so much for your, for your time today. I appreciate you, you know, taking a, an hour out of your, your day there in um, central, central Pennsylvania to uh, come on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Charles. This has been great. Absolutely. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Yeah, let's do it. That sounds great. Take care. Take care.